Hello, welcome to And What Do You Do, a podcast about what people do. It really is as simple as it sounds. This episode was my chance to speak with Jay, who's an implementation specialist. We jumped straight into things, and in fact, when I was editing the podcast, I uh, realised that we kept things so general that we didn't even really touch on the fact that the area of industry we're discussing is finance. Uh, Obviously, for confidentiality and all the rest of it, we wanted to talk more about themes and personal reflections, but it is worth mentioning that it's all related to big finance infrastructure. That makes sense of things, I think. Uh, Regardless, we also touch on lots of different things. Uh, We're not an industry podcast, it's about the people, so we wander across topics like uh, automation, personality types, and lots more besides. Well, without further ado, let's see what Jay has to say. Okay, well, I've got someone on the other end of the line, but tell me, who are you and what do you do? Hi, Ed. I'm Jay, and I'm an implementation specialist. Okay, you got to give me more than that. I don't... What does that mean? So I work in, uh, I work in technology. What uh, most folk would recognise is working in IT for a, an enterprise organisation. And um, I work specifically in a development centre. So the people I work with, Clever people who can write code for uh, running complex enterprise applications, and when that code needs to go to a production environment where people can actually use it, they have to set up a project to make it happen. And I specialize in the part at the end of the project where we actually plan out how we take that to production without without disrupting the existing service because there's thousands of people already depending on the services that we run. And so you don't want to make a mess of it when it comes time to get it live when you've come up with something new. So are you, um, and forgive me if I'm getting this wrong, are you you sort of up at the strategy level or is it more like, are you genuinely talking about, you know, okay, this has to go live tomorrow. So I'm going to be the person making sure that we update things at midnight so yep. that it's good to go. Yeah, it's it's much more the latter. It's much much more the actual specifics of okay. So in order to in order to update upgrade this thing over here, we need to make sure that no one's using it. So we need to stop it. What time should we stop it at? We'll stop it at this time, and then this person needs twenty minutes to do that part, and this person needs an hour to do this part and then what time do we bring it all back on how do we test it before we get it back on to get it accepted and make sure that it hasn't accidentally done anything that, that we didn't foresee it doing and and broken any of the stuff that, that we didn't intend to break it's much less about the strategy the strategy is much more at the at the architectural end that's where the the clever folk at that point will say Here's the direction of the organization and here are the things in the long term that we want to be using. Here are the types of technology that we want to be using. And I'm much more at the opposite end where I'm really coming down to, okay, people will be using, people will stop using this thing at 6 p.m. And then that gives us a bit of freedom to start taking things down and making things non-functional while we upgrade another little part in the background. But I don't do any of the actual hands-on upgrading stuff any of the actual any of the actual um yeah the hands-on technology part where where people are actually issuing commands to servers or anything like that i'm i'm more telling people when they should be doing that and also in terms of the i suppose the projects 
in theory, are those skills transferable? Because you, I, I, I'm assuming that in, on some level, uh, I may be using this incorrectly, but but in some level, you don't really care what the the thing is. You only care about what goes into it, what comes out of it, and how you put that in the right place. Yeah, in, in theory, you're right. Yeah, the it, it, it is much really down to the to the scheduling of 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 these sorts of things and and actually planning out the the times to to the tightest degree that you cannot you can't take account of of everything that might come up so these plans have to be flexible and they have to be able to to adjust so if somebody says something's going to take 20 minutes but actually he needs to reset his password before he can do it and then he needs to go to the toilet <laughs> You know, okay. that twenty-minute task could turn into an hour or something. So you need to you need to be able to build up a plan that can react to to these changing situations. Just as a little follow-up to that, then overall, are these things getting more complicated, or or I suppose not not again, we're not talking about the specifics of what you're implementing, but implementation in general is it is it getting trickier, or is it more that because so much stuff now relies on complicated IT, that there's more of an acceptance that, well, these guys have to have sort of power at this point, you know, because we just have to get used to the fact that it's some, you know, these things have to be upgraded. I, I, I keep saying upgraded rather than implemented, but I, I'm just wondering whether there's a kind of cultural shift. There is, yeah. The 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 whole the whole life cycle is is really changing at the moment certainly from software development point of view uh, traditionally and the majority of the projects that i continue to be involved in are what you call a waterfall project okay and a waterfall project is where you plan everything out in phases so everything starts with the architects who decide what strategy we're going to take and it moves on through the designers you have a design phase once the design phase is complete, there'll be a testing phase, and following the testing phase, there'll be a, an implementation phase, and then after that, it's it's out in the wild, and, and people are actually using it, improving it, and coming back with with any problems that they might have with it. So that's the traditional way of doing it, and that's the way I'm more familiar with. But the the whole software development lifecycle, uh, there's a there's a tendency in the industry at the moment to move towards more more agile ways of doing things and i think the whole point of the agile method is about actually collapsing all these all these different phases into into smaller tighter groups where your architects are much less removed from the from your user base and from your testers in a waterfall project your architects and your testers might never really have any cause to communicate but in an agile project it's much more likely that that you would bring them together, and maybe you wouldn't even have necessarily architects involved in a project specifically, but you'd have your designers, your developers, your testers, and your users all able to communicate with each other and working on more specific parts of the of the delivery, so they would be say your users would come up with a feature that they would want to see in the next version of the of the application that they use, so you would assemble a small team. You might call that team a, a scrum or a tribe or one of these one of these modern words that uh, that gets used. Okay. People are talking about agile, but essentially it's about it's about turning that it's 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 really about like I say collapsing all these different phases in such a way that it makes it makes it easier for people to communicate with each other. But 
for the types of technology that I'm working on, they're not really very well suited for that because they form much more of the backbone of the, the organization that I work for. And they are mature technologies, so they've been in place, some of them since uh, maybe the 60s or 70s, right. with, with stuff being added on over the top of it the whole time since that period. And so you've, you find yourself in a situation where you've you've built up this big, huge thing that thousands of people use every day and th- that can have real impacts on, on people's lives as well. So there's a bit of responsibility there. But it does mean that you can't you can't just tear it up and say, ah, no, we're gonna no, it doesn't matter if we break it because we'll fix it again in two weeks. That's just not good enough for the for the types of technology that I work on. It's much more important that we plan it out to avoid any disruption as far as possible. And you can't you can't ever completely eliminate problems. And despite the maturity of these systems, they do still generally encounter problems that the IT department has to deal with on a on a kind of day-to-day operational basis. But um yeah, the the whole the whole way my department works is, you know, we need to protect the service, we need to protect the end users. And we need to protect the company's reputation as well, because that can obviously be seriously damaged if something's so central sure. just vanishes for, for a period. I think I, I can probably guess at one or two um, characteristics, but I will ask you, what is it that makes somebody good at a job like this? What is it about you that makes you good at this job? Hmm. Yeah, that is, that is a good question. And I'm not really sure how to answer it. I have attempted before to train people up to do the work uh, with varying degrees of success but the people that the people that succeed as far as i've seen anyway you you have to have a certain way of being able to to picture the timeline of of the work that you want to complete when that when it all comes down to that go live day or those go live weeks or however it is that you end up managing it at the end you have to be able to understand the picture, to be able to see the the damage that you're doing in real time, right? Um, so you have to be able to to picture that. So there's a certain sort of kind of logical organisation required in your head to be able to appreciate that part of it. But then a huge part of it as well just seems to be about being able to approach people. The the organisation I work for in particular is is really people driven. When I moved into the, to this role, I thought it was going to be all process and it was all just going to be a case of well, if you want this done, then you fill out this form here and you submit it there and you make sure these boxes are checked and then you know things will just fall out of the back of it. But that isn't that hasn't been my experience. It's much more people driven and it's much more important to be able to approach people and to be able to ask people look. I'm going to need you to do this thing at midnight on this date and it's a bit of a pain and we're going to have to sit around for four hours before we find out if it works. But can you be available for that? Right, (laughs) okay. Being able to speak nicely to people and not alienate people and and not the people who who have seen who haven't succeeded as well tend to be, their attitude tends to be much more uh, well, this just needs doing, so you're doing this now, aren't you? Uh, which can rub people up the wrong way, especially people you know people that have been doing these jobs for twenty five years and have 
seen everything come and go and seen lots of different methodologies come and go and lots of different project managers and project styles come and go and all that. These people aren't wet behind the ears and they're not, uh, <laughs> they, they, they don't always take kindly to be talking, to, to being talked down to, as you'd imagine. Sure. A question I've been asking a lot recently is if money was no object, time was no object, resources of any sort were, was no object, is there a dream project that you have in mind that you would like to work on or maybe even just a dream way of working that's, that's not always you know, practically possible? They're, they're probably, I, I probably don't really have a good answer for that really. Certainly in the implementation role, although every role across the organisation has a responsibility to minimise cost and make sure that we're not frittering money away, you know, doing sure. pointless things and all that. Beyond that, the financial aspects of the project don't really interest me that much. Uh, so from my point of view, it seems unlimited already <laughs> sometimes. Right, I see. <laughs> yeah. So there's no, there's nothing then that I could imagine could be improved by throwing money at or, you know, like resources or anything. Yeah, my my role is, is definitely focused on here's what we do now, here's what we want to do after the change, and here is roughly when we want, you know, when we think we can make that change reasonably. Let's put a plan together. Sure. Well, tell me then, how did you come to this role in the first place? Because it's obviously something that's pretty specialised. How how do you get into that? Yeah, it's quite. And actually, I I worked in I worked in IT support more generally, and dabbled a little bit in in project type stuff earlier in my my career. But mostly it was um, it was primarily desktop support stuff that I was working on previously. And actually, in that role, and in the so in that role in in those roles and in the organisations I was working for, I wasn't really exposed to my current role even existing. I hadn't really thought about that as being a thing. And then then this is a really boring part, to be honest. There was there was a consultancy recruiting in my city for a team to specifically do implementation and, and the skills that they needed being a really specialized role it was difficult to recruit for those exact skills. It's hard to to find a team. You know, when they were looking for, if they're looking for 10 or 20 people or something like that, you can't just put an advert up on S1 Jobs or whatever to say, right, come in, implementation people come and form a queue over here because right. it's, not, it's not something that necessarily every, every organization even separates out. So some organizations might just have the the project managers performing this role, or they might have um a dedicated release team that might manage it from a from a slightly different angle. So yeah, so I, I've sort of I kind of stumbled into it originally and then just happened to really enjoy it and did fairly well at it and coped with it with the pressure of the you know of the of the potential impact of what we were what we were dealing with. In terms of how other people think of your job, if they, it, it, I suppose you always think of yourself more than you think of anybody else. But when people think about you and, and the job you do, even let's say outside the organization, are there things that other people just don't really get about your job? Do they make assumptions and things like that? Absolutely. And I can totally understand why, you know, having, 
having already had like a decade of IT experience under my belt and still not really knowing that that role even existed until until I got an offer to work in it. Sure. I didn't really understand it and so I wouldn't I wouldn't really expect even necessarily people who work in technology to to always understand it. It, it also like different organizations depend in different ways on on software development. Most companies their developed software is pretty much all coming off the shelf. You know, they need they need office applications for everyone to be able to produce documents and share them with right. each other. But they most organizations don't, in my experience, have loads of bespoke requirements and require an infrastructure to be built around the way they work. Previously I'd worked in telecoms and, and telecoms does have quite a lot of technology being developed within it, as you'd imagine. But at the same time, I was quite detached from that whole side of things because I worked in desktops at that time. So I was quite quite insulated from it to to a decent degree. So as far as assumptions or misconceptions that people might have about my role, it's honestly normally hard enough to explain to people what I'm actually doing and people with no exposure to technology or, you know, no professional exposure to technology probably have a hard time getting their head around the fact that anybody's even doing that. Does it mean then that that when you're trying to get people to do implementation, there's there's quite a lot of churn in, uh, or, or turnover or, or however you want to phrase it in, in terms of the people, because some people, you know, they're going to take a leap into that side of things and then find that they're not suited to it. Does it tend to be that you can tell quite quickly and because you were talking about, you know, um, training people up and, you know, the various skills that make somebody, you know, good at it or stick with it. Is there a lot of, you know, also finding that people, wait, you know, aren't really up for this sort of thing. And it's not because they're not smart or it's not because they're not interested in technology. They just don't have the right fit for this and they and they should move on. Sorry, that was a very long-winded uh, question, I, I realise. Yeah, it's a... It's a- it's a fair enough question. I think, I think, yeah, I think I probably would say that. Well, <laughs> let's see. In the organisation I work for, the original team that I was recruited to uh, doesn't exist anymore. The organisation sort of the kind of management structure has has reordered a, a few times since I originally took on the role. So I'm not. I don't actually see as many colleagues anymore who do the role that I do. It used to be that we, you know, there would be like thirty of us or something like that, all sat round a few bank of desks and all working on different projects across different departments within the company. Mm-hmm. And so we would meet up and we would exchange news about what was happening and what difficulties we were coming up against and things like that. But because of the reorg, that doesn't happen so much anymore. So I don't actually, I'm not so much in, in contact with all of those colleagues uh, that I would have seen come and go before. And actually, you find with the long-term nature of the projects that we've traditionally been involved when, with in the implementation function, a project might be two or three years from outset to to finish. And if somebody gets implementation involved from an early point in that project life, then it's a long time before they get found out. <laughs> if you see where I'm right, okay. 
this this is maybe uh, it might not even make sense really as a question uh, in terms of the kind of the culture of because you're in the west of Scotland yeah. right so in, is there within IT you, you tend to think if if you're not within it that it's you know it's computers right so it's very logical it's very yeah. um it's sort of it's pretty black and white in that sense but do you find that there are kind of cultural differences between <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying necessarily just within implementation, but within sort of the wider uh, tech work in, say, the west of Scotland and elsewhere in the UK, or even if you've ever had to work with international colleagues or anything like that? Uh, yeah, it's, it's, well, yeah. I mean, you point out there that, that it's it's all computers, it's all ones and zeros, and so it's, it should all be pretty black and white. But, that, you know, there's thousands of people working in the industry and they're they're all different in their own special ways so yeah there's definitely there are definitely different cultures i mean a lot of that's driven by by the direction of management uh they might want to encourage or even insist upon a a, a certain type of culture being used but even within within teams and within uh, certainly between departments there can be big differences in culture and different focuses you know one one department might be driven entirely by impressing the end user with progress in the feature set that they offer, whereas other departments might be much less interested in the end users insofar as their work doesn't really directly impact them. We talked a bit about how things have changed and how things can even change, I guess, project to project. Do you see a a general trend, let's say projecting maybe five or even ten years in the future, is there a, a general way you think these things are going? Yeah, yeah, you can definitely see it, this is less about implementation specifically and more about um, software development and hosting infrastructure and things like that. But you can, there's definitely, there was a, a sort of initial drive a few years ago towards virtualizing as much as possible where you you consolidate all your big hardware, all your big servers that that run all your big services, you reduce the, the number of different hardware systems that support them and then you, you can organize them logically as, as different virtual systems within a you know a, a bigger infrastructure. So that that's been underway for quite a long time and you know, certainly it, there's still plenty to go in that direction with the services I work with. But beyond that as well, then there's uh, there's also a lot of chat about things as a service. Yeah. Whether it's software as a service or platform as a service or any other things as a service. And that, is a bit of an outsourcing drive really it's about that's about really getting the the responsibility for the the hardware maintenance and the 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 kind of platform stuff that um that can be expensive and require a lot of skills to to manage if you can make that someone else's responsibility then it simplifies your task and allows allows you as an organization to to focus more on on the things that are important to you and your customers kind of thing so where where things can be yeah where it's basically where there's where you can avoid reinventing the wheel then 
just avoid it and get and, and get someone else to look after that that side of things for you. So that's I think that's going to be a big thing over the next few years in certainly in the organisation that I work in that the moving things to these as a service models certainly appears to be the strategy that that, that we're following at the moment, which sounds. I do. I'm always suspicious of big changes like this in terms of the effect that it has on on people's jobs. <laughs> right. You know, you you do hear about these things, and it'll be much easier, and it'll be much simpler, and it'll all happen off site, and we don't need to worry about it. And you do. There is a, a part of you that thinks, well, maybe we don't need as many of us then after after mm-hmm. it all happens, and that might ultimately be what happens. But at the same time we do still need to retain knowledge in-house and uh, yeah. we still need to plan these things out and you still need to vet the, the work that, that the service providers are doing for you. So you need to have people with who, who can form opinions on, on how it's going. And I'm not going to get you to, to give anything away that you don't want to, but in any of your projects, have you ever, uh, in some sense, crashed and burned that, you know, there was just like one thing that nobody thought of or... Just you came up against a, a sort of a user doing something that you just could not predict. Yeah, yeah. You see these, you see these things. You see certainly in the in the kind of big projects world. I've been fortunate so far in that none of them have really collapsed on the night, you know, due to catastrophic oversight. Right. Thankfully, <laughs> so far, so good. <laughs> uh, and hopefully it, make, it continues for a long time. Uh, yeah, that's not directly happened to me. But these these big projects I mentioned before, projects taking two or three years, it can take longer than that, and still you can come to the uh, you can come to the the day of your go live. You can you can be sitting there on a Friday afternoon with you know with a plan for forty consecutive hours of work to happen over the course of that weekend mm. and then something comes up that pulls the rug out from underneath you. Certainly in twenty sixteen I was involved with a big project that involved introducing a, a, a new standard to our organization that was about borderless messaging throughout the European Union. And then we had planned this work for I think three years or maybe four. I say we, we as a whole project had planned it for that long. Yeah. Then, you know, our go lives had been delayed here and there. And, and then finally this, this one huge thing that we'd all been building up to that was like the last big thing in this project, it was due to start on the Friday night. And then on the, I think, I think it was the Thursday, there was the Brexit vote. And then the result came in on the Friday so we had planned all this European integration work. <laughs> yeah, okay. we were really building up to, and was really uh, it was going to be a big reward to finally have put it in. And then, just before we went to put it in, uh, that happened, and I can't actually remember now being as it was nearly five years ago, actually. But um, I can't remember if it's possible that the fact of Brexit actually then made us delay because we we didn't want to risk generating any bad news in that space over that weekend. Sure. 
ultimately we did go ahead with it and we did implement it and it did work and it worked great and well done to everybody on the project but uh, I have a feeling that it's actually since been undone now because well because the UK has now left the European Union so so there's that's one one example of something huge that no amount of planning could we really have done that any differently you, you couldn't have started in 2012 or 2013 and known that any of that was going to happen and of course, yeah. Into account, so so yeah. So the the world, the world in, intervenes. Excellent. Well, uh, we'll leave Brexit behind. <laughs> yeah. um, I've got a last daft question for you. Um, I'm afraid you can't do your job anymore. Um, it pains to point out you haven't been fired. Just I don't know. All implementation is now automated. Yeah. You've done such a good job um, that it's it's done for the rest of time. Yeah. However, and I didn't mention automation. You you spoke about things getting harder and things like that. Automation is another thing that, that people are moving towards, and it is that is another thing that's simplifying implementation. But sorry, I shouldn't have interrupted your question. No, no, that's fine. Well, well, that that will be the pretext then. Uh, you, you've been automated out of a job. Um, the the J three thousand is now, is now doing your job, but it's okay. Don't worry because we're going to offer you three different jobs. And what I would like to know is which, if any of them, appeal. Um, and and it's more about. Why? What is it about you that you think would be good at these, or or maybe just interested? I'm going to make them up completely. So the three jobs that I'm going to give you a choice between, uh, you can be a sculptor, you know, so it's kind of arty, but you know, working with your hands. You can be an undertaker. We're always going to need undertakers, I guess. Or you can be a. You can work for the police. Okay, well. That is a that is a wee challenge. There's definite job security in the in the undertaking business. That's that's one that's uh, not going to get automated out of existence. I don't think. No, I think, I think... although it'd be a pretty horrendous dystopian world. That we... <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, we've got other things to worry about uh, at that stage. I think. <laughs> yeah. And I don't have any specific objection to working with the police, but the sculpture thing. Yeah, that that probably does appeal. It's not it's not something that I have particular skill in as yet. I did used to mess around with blue tack when I was a wee boy <laughs> and used to come up with. Well, that's probably how it starts, right? I mean, oh yeah. So, so I've got yeah, I've got some experience. That's that on a CV. <laughs> so yeah, sculptor, sculptor, excellent. Well, uh, thank you so much for speaking uh, to me, uh, Jay. Uh, that was really great. Uh, Enjoy the rest of your day. You too. Thank you very much. All right. Well, my thanks to Jay for the chat. It's a world that is basically entirely uh, hidden from me. So I like the little insights into what's going on behind the scenes. Anyway, uh, for all the other episodes and some supplementary stuff, check out andwhatdoyoudo.co.uk or you can send me an email at and what do you do podcast at gmail.com. As always, I'm looking for more people to interview. So if you're interested, then please drop me a line. And slowly, very slowly, uh, but surely, I'm engaging with social media. Uh, you can also reach me on Instagram at and what do you do pod or on Twitter at and what do you do one. Uh, yes, all the other variations seem to be taken. And yes, interacting with any of this stuff, frankly, makes me feel a million years old and completely out of touch. If nothing else, send me a message out of pity and uh, raise my spirits a little. But there we go. I'll be back with another episode soon. But until then, take care. Speak soon. Mm -hmm.